Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. In the mid-1800s, mapmakers were sent all over New York City. Their task was to document the entire city with detail unlike any other maps of the time. They labeled buildings with different colors, depending on what they're made of. Pink for brick, blue for concrete, and olive green for fireproof construction. They added symbols for things like skylights, vents, and elevators. Some maps would tell you whether the streets were cobbled or not. In the decades before this, two fires had destroyed large sections of the city. More people wanted insurance than ever before, and insurance companies realized that it was too time-consuming to send agents out to inspect every single property. So they decided these maps would be the answer. Standardized, detailed maps of every corner of the city. What a building was made of, how many exits it had, and what it was used for. These were all things that insurance agents could use to assess what kind of premium to charge. And now they could figure it out without leaving the office. One company in particular, the Sanborn Map Company, eventually held a monopoly over the field and published maps for over 12,000 cities and towns. But over the decades, as the cities grew and expanded, and as fire codes and modern construction methods improved, fire insurance maps became more expensive to upkeep and not as important. They're still used today, just not for their original purpose. Sanborn maps are like a record of what used to be there and what might still be there, but now, under the ground, invisible and forgotten. So the first step is measuring out the yard and comparing it to the old Sanborn maps from the 1870s. And from there, we look at the structure of the house itself to figure out if it's been changed uh, and what has been changed. Uh, And then we stick a probe that goes into the ground, a little metal probe, that we can kind of feel how hard or soft the ground is. If the ground feels really hard in that area, we'll move up three or four feet, do it again, until we find the actual hole. And then what? 
and then we started digging. Uh, we set up shop, we'll bring out a tarp, uh, get our shovels ready, and get the whole crew out there and start going down. It's, uh, it's all done by hand um, and rope and bucket. Evan Woodard lives in Baltimore, Maryland, and he explores the city from underneath. He searches for things buried underground, things that some people might consider trash. Be it a bottle or a toy or anything that people would have thrown away. But it also can be coins, things that fell out of people's pockets. So it's not, it's different than treasure hunting how? Uh, well, treasure hunting, I think you're looking for a specific item. Like you're looking for that gold coin or, you know, the, the Holy Grail or something along those lines. Whereas what I'm doing is looking for just pieces of uh, forgotten industries, uh, beer bottles, soda bottles, uh, broken plates, pictures, uh, even toys that kids played with back in the 1800s. Evan has been interested in digging things up since he was a little boy. He says he was obsessed with Indiana Jones as a kid. But he never really cared about finding something shiny or expensive. He liked the other stuff. And he wanted to learn what it might teach him about the city that he grew up in and loves. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Once, Evan found a clear glass soda bottle that said Heinzerling and Company on the front. Like with everything he finds, Evan wanted to know more about where it came from. And during the research of that, I uncovered a story about a black man named John Butler who was most likely framed for murder and executed for that murder. Here's how Evan got there. He searched for the name Heinzerling from the front of the bottle in the Baltimore Sun's archives. Some articles popped up in the 1880s, 1890s, which is about the time that the company existed and then went out of business. But there was a couple more articles that showed up in the 1900s, and this is a really unique name. Evan read everything he could find and pieced together that the owner of the bottle company's son was listed among the names of people scheduled to attend an execution at the Baltimore City Jail. And from there, I kind of wanted to know more about the execution and why this guy was being executed. Evan learned that the man who had been executed was a black man named John Butler. He read that on the evening of October 27, 1900, John's wife, Lavinia Butler, was found dead on Bayard Street in downtown Baltimore. A bloody rock was found nearby, which the police believed was the murder weapon. No one had witnessed the murder, but the man who discovered the body told the police that he'd seen a tall black man standing over the woman. Within several hours, John Butler was arrested. He was tried and found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. On August 23, 1901, John Butler died by hanging. Before he died, he said, I haven't anything to say except that I am innocent. The practice at the time was for people to be called to witness executions. And a man named John R. Heinzerling was listed in the newspaper as one of the 20 witnesses summoned to be present. John Butler had been active in politics at a time when black men and women in Baltimore were fighting in courts for equal treatment under the law. He was the president of a local black Republican club, organizing meetings and speaking events. 
In 1900, the Baltimore Sun reported that he had, quote, much influence. Reading about all of this, more than 100 years later, Evan thinks John Butler could have been framed for political reasons. So there must be all of these hidden stories. You know, every new house, there's potentially a hidden story. Is that how you think about the work? Yeah, it, it, it's not so much about the artifact itself. It's about the story that the artifact can tell uh, and knowing or learning what this might have been related to at one point. Why is Baltimore such a good... What, what is it, what's special about, about Baltimore? Well, when you look at other large cities that are historic, like New York or D.C., uh, they've already had so much redevelopment happen, uh, whereas Baltimore is just starting to do that now. So a lot of the old history, especially in the ground, is still preserved and saved for people to come see. Evan Woodard says he's dug in at least 100, if not 200, backyards in Baltimore. How do you how do you go about getting permission to dig? Are these are you ever just knocking on some homeowner's door because you think they're in an interesting location, or are they are they all coming to you? Uh, it's a mixture of both. I will knock on doors uh, and, and work a whole neighborhood and see and just explain to them what I'm doing. I often bring like a couple of items with me to show them, hey, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're trying to do and explain the whole process uh, and tell them that, hey, we will also put your na- your backyard back to how it was before um, and not damage anything. But then I also get a lot of people that reach out to me on Instagram saying, can you come like check out my backyard? And they send me their address and I'll start talking to them and do the research. And next thing you know, we're over there a couple weeks later. When you're driving around the city now and you like see a corner or see a house, do you think after doing this work, oh, God, I wish I could get in their backyard? Uh, yeah, it's me driving through the city. is It's super slow. I mean, thankfully, we have traffic here. So I can kind of just look around as I'm sitting at a red light. Uh, and if I see an active construction site, I'll pull over and just go talk to the people right away and you know, explain to them what I do. And usually they're like, yeah, come on back. When Evan told us about his next dig in the Little Italy neighborhood of Baltimore, we asked if we could come along. We'll be right back. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash thisislove. Just go to Indeed.com slash thisislove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash thisislove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. 
and their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Baltimore's Little Italy is near the water, just a few blocks from the Inner Harbor. The address Evan Woodard gave us led us to a quiet block, lined with narrow brick and stone row houses. There was a little pizza restaurant at the end of the block called Sabatino's. Evan told us that the house is being renovated, and that the front door would be unlocked, and that we should just let ourselves in and meet him in the backyard. When we got there, it was clear Evan had already been working for a while. He was wearing tall rubber boots and thick gardening gloves and was covered in dirt. It was noon, and church bells were ringing. The backyard was small, just a little paved patio area with an overgrown garden, surrounded by a tall latticed fence. And right in the middle was a huge pile of dirt. Next to that was a hole in the ground, and someone was chest deep standing inside. Tell me what you're doing. What's happening here? Currently, we're working in a privy. Uh, it looks like it's a woodline privy, uh, probably shared between this house and the next house over. Uh, and we're now trying to define the edges of the privy. Uh, so Matt is currently digging down through all the fill that was tossed into the privy uh, when they closed it off in the early 1900s when this area got plumbing. So, what do you mean? A, what is a privy? Is it a toilet? Yeah, yeah. The privy is the old outhouse uh, where they would go to the bathroom um, prior to having indoor plumbing. And they also used it as a trash can. So anything that was like a household item uh, that couldn't be you know, burned would go in the privy too. So they would just toss uh, bottles, dishes, uh, food scraps, bones, things like that. And periodically their privies were cleaned out uh, by privy dippers, but not all the time. If the house was in a really weird uh, space where they couldn't get to the backyard as easy or the homeowner didn't want them trekking uh, buckets of you know, human waste through the house, uh, they would just leave it in there until it piled up and then cap off the privy and make a new one somewhere else. Evan says that the privy dippers wouldn't always empty them completely. Privy dippers are also called honey dippers or night soil men. They'd sometimes leave a few feet of waste and trash at the very bottom. Eventually, when houses got indoor plumbing, the privies would just be sealed off and forgotten about. So how deep... You're, you're kind of, I mean, the hole's big enough that someone's basically in it. How, how much further will you go down? Uh, all privies depend on like, the size and what neighborhood you're in. Uh, this one we expect to go down about eight feet because that's about standard for this area. Uh, and then ones we've done before have been up to 35 feet deep, and that's all done by hand. Evan dug the 35-foot one last summer. He had a lot of help, and it still took around 20 hours spread over two days. They had to wear headlamps. He goes digging almost every weekend. His usual routine is to start with the Sanborn maps to identify what buildings have been around since the 1800s and probably had a privy at one point. Then he uses the maps to figure out where exactly the property lines were. He'll check to see if there have been any extensions added on to the house. 
Sometimes they have to dig a few test holes. Evan said today they got it right on the third try. How did you how did you know that you were in the right spot? I mean, what, what did you see here in this hole that made you think, okay, we found it? Uh, it's not so much the uh, uh, seeing the hole. It's when you put the probe into the ground, the ground is like super soft. Uh, and if it's filled with ash and other debris, you'll hear that when you're using the probe sliding into the ground um, versus like natural soil that's just hard, compact clay. And there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's a lot harder to push in. They knew they were in the right place when they started finding fragments of old glass soda bottles. Underneath that layer is usually a clay cap and more artifacts, things like pipes, plates, and old toys. Evan's friend, Matt Palmer, is the one digging the hole today. By now, it's deep enough that his head is pretty much level with the ground. He's using a shovel to fill a large bucket with dirt and ash and brick fragments. And then Evan pulls the bucket, which is attached to a rope, back up above ground. Oh, man, you got to dump some of that out, bro. You can't be doing full buckets. <laughs> Not for this distance. <clears throat> Once Evan pulls the bucket up, they dump it out to see if they found anything. The pile of dirt on the patio is now much taller than when we first arrived. Do you expect to find anything? What, what do you expect to find? Uh, I mean, we've already found actually a couple of pieces of bottles that we haven't seen before. Um, and they're on their, I guess, more rare side. Um, but I mean, this, it's, every hole is different. You just never know until you really get down there. Uh, what the house, like if the house was rich, were they poor? Did they have enough money to buy a lot of things? Or were they just trying to save as much as they could? Um, so that's one of the things you can kind of tell, like by the trash that you pull out. At one point, we watched them dig up a T-bone from a stake. So you can look at, like, if the homeowner uh, or the family had a lot of meats, like if they ate a lot of animals, uh, you knew that they were able to afford to go to the market and get animals. Um, if they drank a lot of beer, uh, you know, uh, how much the quantity of trash and then the quality of, like, what type of trash it is. So if you find a soda bottle that's from a well-known manufacturer, you know that they're paying money for that um, versus something that's just, like, a couple of small uh, little cheap medicine spice bottles, things like that, or... Um, if they smoked, if you find pipes. Uh, also, if they were literate, um, you'd find uh, ink wells, things like that. And so you can tell if they knew how to write or write and read. Once, when digging in the Seton Hill neighborhood of Baltimore, Evan found a lot of French artifacts. Old glass bottles that held perfume, soap, or medicine. He started looking into it and learned that during the French Revolution in the late 18th century, a lot of French people fled to the U.S., and many of them settled in Baltimore. What's, the, what's your favorite thing you've ever dug up? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think one of my favorite items is a flask uh, from Baltimore Glassworks from about the 1850s, 1860s. And Baltimore Glassworks burned down in the 1840s. And when they reopened, they made this commemorative flask that showed a phoenix rising from the ashes and resurgum um, underneath of it. Resurgum is Latin for I shall rise again. And I think that's just so cool that the concept of like novelty items and, and commemorative things like you would get at a baseball stadium is nothing new, that companies have been doing this for well over 100 years now. Evans found all kinds of things in privies. Bottles, teacups, dentures, even what appeared to be someone's old wedding ring. Stuff that would have been lost forever 
unless someone decided to go digging in an old toilet. We'll be right back. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Evan Woodard grew up outside of Baltimore in a town called Laurel. He says when he was a kid, one of his favorite things to do was go out into the woods around his house and explore. He lived near a nature preserve. And so this was like all reclaimed land that the government took over, uh, I think, in the 40s or 50s. But back there, you could find like old homes um, and, and old cars. That's pretty cool. And, and what types of things would you find objects in those like houses or cars when you'd be exploring? Yeah, we'd, I'd find old bottles um, and, and magazines and books, uh, sometimes games and things like that. And then what was left of the car itself, the doors, the motor, sometimes a tire too. Would you take them home with you? Would you take the little things home with you? No, my mom would kill me. (laughs) (laughs) He says his favorite place to go as a kid was the Baltimore Museum of Industry, where you could see things like a hundred-year-old printing press and machinery from an old oyster cannery. Did you did you find yourself being drawn to like these industrial to these working? systems and and remnants of of the way life used to be um yeah i would say so because i've always been interested in how things work um as a kid i would take apart everything and my parents would get so annoyed at that but then i would put it back together and work and so that was kind of cool uh and i just liked i just liked seeing what was here in baltimore originally as evan got older he realized he wasn't spending as much time outside as he did when he was a kid But then, during the pandemic, he started going for hikes all over the city and surrounding counties with his friend, Matt Palmer. And one day we were out and he found this uh, beer bottle and it just kind of like sparked my interest in it. And then I got home and started researching it. And it wasn't so much researching the the beer bottle itself, like who made it, but it was a story behind it. Like, uh, what did this person do in their life and how did it maybe end up here? And do you remember your first dig when you said, I'm actually going to, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to, you know, where, where was it? Yeah. My first dig was in Fells Point uh, behind this old, uh, I guess it was a boarding house back um, during the 1850s. And there was a 
large barrel uh, placed in the ground for the underneath the outhouse, and that's where we ended up excavating. Um, the barrel and the site was covered by concrete, so we had to bust through that with our sledgehammers. But you know, it was super rewarding afterwards seeing all these things come from the ground. But do you remember the first thing that you had to have kind of pulled up? I believe it was a Phillips Brothers uh, bottling bottling works beer. Um, it was amber and it was a crown top, and it has like these a picture of like two boxers fighting um one standing over the other and it's just like a kind of like a cool like piece of baltimore history to have they often use the slogan a knockout for thirst evan guesses the bottle he found was from the 1890s he says that after he went digging that first time he was hooked his friend matt had gone with him and the two of them started looking for other backyards to dig up Evan remembers a time they spent hours in one backyard trying to figure out where to dig. It wasn't working out. Someone told him to call a man named Chris Rowell, who had been digging up privies and searching for artifacts for 20 years. Evan called him and says that within two minutes of being in the backyard, Chris had found the privy. Evan calls him the privy whisperer. Now the three of them dig together all the time. He was there on the day we visited. Why do you like doing this? You've been doing it for a long time now. Oh, it's it's so fun. You find things nobody's ever seen before, or at least nobody's seen in hundreds of years and cared about in hundreds of years. You know, I was, you know, we found a bottle earlier this year I was telling your associate about um, that I had never seen. There was no record of one ever existing. Even though we only had half of it, it had enough, I was able to glean enough information from it to find the advertisements for the guy, confirm that it was his bottle, and that he was manufacturing mustard in Baltimore in the 1830s. So that was an exciting thing for me to find and put all that history back together and you know, probably be the first person to care about this guy and his business for 200 years. It really is just the excitement of what could be down in the bottom of that hole. You, like a treasure hunt in a toilet. Oh, absolutely. It's a treasure hunt in a toilet, you know. After a few hours, I decided I wanted to give it a try. I was wearing a white button-down shirt, and one of the men loaned me their jacket before I climbed in. The hole was probably eight feet deep and about three feet wide, a sort of jagged, uneven circle. It had gotten so deep that we had to use a rickety metal folding ladder. It kind of looked like something you'd only use in an emergency. But I climbed out. Okay, here I go. Oh, you are really in here. Okay. It was incredibly hard work trying to get a shovel full of clay into the bucket. Do a little bit more. So you're trying, what you're trying to do is get in the corner here to see if there's actually anything in here, right? Yes. The hole is awkward. You can't stand straight up, and so you're kind of crouched in a corner, constantly slipping on the mud and sinking into the loose dirt. In 30 seconds, I was filthy. It's heavy. This clay's heavy. Yes. <laughs> it's good to see somebody who's definitely used a shovel before. You'd be amazed how many people don't know how to handle a shovel. Eddie, come on up. I told Evan I would fill up one bucket and then come back up. But I kept saying, just one more. In the end, I didn't find anything in there. At one point, Jared Lyles, who owns the house, came outside to see how things were going. His whole backyard was completely dug up. So this is your backyard, which is now, it's kind of a mess right now. 
Yeah, so the back the backyard is a mess right now. They've got probably like a good four foot pile of dirt out here in the backyard. What is it? Is it interesting for you to see all of this, the stuff that was used by people who lived here before you? You know, to see there were people there were people living here in your home and doing the same things you're doing, just creating a life. Sure, I'm, I think. Actually, the domestic lives of people is really what makes up history and really enriches it. Like you can think of a big event, um, but really the day-to-day -day actions of people's lives kind of kind of contributed to those and made them possible. And they add to the texture and flavor of everything. Uh, most homeowners are thrilled. Uh, they'll stand outside and watch us and ask us what different things are. And you can see their face light up. It's almost like watching a kid on Christmas. Uh, we've even had homeowners like basically have like a whole barbecue out back, uh, invite their neighbors over, which is good for us because then the neighbors like come do this in my yard. And I think it kind of can bring like a neighborhood together because we'll bounce around from different house to different house. And people will say, oh, go talk to John down here or go talk to Steve or, you know, Rachel down this block. Um, and it's really cool to see like the whole neighborhood be like, yes, we want you to come back and dig in our backyards. Evan found a lot of bottles while we were there. And also a small cow figurine attached to the lid of a jar. And what appeared to be a cracked ceramic gravy boat with flowers painted on the sides. They gave us a few small bottles to take home as souvenirs. One of them was a tiny cobalt blue glass bottle that had held bromo seltzer a medicine that was invented in the late 19th century in Baltimore. Evan says often he'll donate the artifacts he recovers to the Baltimore Museum of Industry, the same museum he loved going to as a little boy. He says that there are some days when they'll dig for seven hours and find nothing. But he says he doesn't mind. That's just part of it. Who are the type of people that do this work? I mean, you know, who who likes this stuff, to do this stuff? Um, that's, that's really interesting. Like, I, I know that I'm one of the few uh, black Americans that do this um, out there. And so I, I do like that I'm trying to make that more accessible to or show others that, hey, you, you can, like, you know, be a good role model and get kids involved in this. Um, I mean, for me, I didn't see people that look like me on TV doing anything about history. Um, so I didn't know that that was like, you know, something that I could do. Um, and history is told from the point of view of, you know, mostly white people. And when that's all you see and that like, you're not again, seeing that representation, uh, out there in the field, you're not going to really go for it. Because I think that we sometimes have a hard time understanding the historical significance of, of where we live. And it's our house, but it, imagining or envisioning what that house was like 100 years ago when, the peop when people first moved in, it, it must make someone feel more connected to where they live when they see the actual evidence of, of the people who had been there before them. Yeah. How often do you get to say that this was a beer bottle that the person that lived in my house or built my house drank from? This Is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Samantha Brown, and Libby Foster. 
Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. You can see Evan Woodard's work on his Instagram, at salvagearc. That's A-R-C, salvagearc. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show, where we'll have video of me digging in the hole. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.